The following is a fictitious story for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your financial advisor if necessary. Hey everyone, it's Evan Thomas here. Welcome to the show. Hey, you may be able to hear that I'm actually outside right now. It's late at night. I'm actually camping this weekend and it's Saturday and I fired up my laptop um, I'm actually sitting outside. It's beautiful here, camping with some friends. Pretty much everybody's going back to their tents and their cabins. And again, sitting by this campfire, thinking about and producing episode number 40, which is a bonus episode of Ask Evan Anything for my six-month anniversary of the podcast. So stay tuned, everybody. The podcast starts right now. Welcome again, everybody, to the show. So, again, I have my laptop open here, and you know, I have received, as I mentioned, a lot of questions from my listeners over the past six months, and so I wanted to share those with you here this evening. This is not my normal episode, is it, where I'm all fired up in the morning because I had way too much coffee <laughs> or way too much caffeine, and I'm all pumped up and walking my way to wealth with you. This is a little bit different, isn't it? So it's kind of relaxed. Again, I'm just sitting out here by the campfire. Beautiful evening. And I wanted to share this with you as I walk through many of your questions. And what I'm seeing here for this episode is that some of the questions are about basic finance and things that I can share with you from listeners all over the world. And other questions are folks that want to know more about me and my journey. So it's a little bit of both, but I'm super excited to produce this episode because as you guys know, this podcast has been, for me, a major passion project. It really is. And it's been experimental over these past six months. Um, and I'll be sharing that here with you as we move forward with the questions. I'm not going to edit this episode, so bear with me. You might be hearing some crinkling of marshmallows and things like that because I'm roasting some marshmallows. And anyway, so let's go ahead and get started. And I've got my questions right here. Um, the first of which says, I really like being motivated by your case studies, one listener says. So as you guys know, as a side note, I have, I'm trying to do case studies um, every single month at the end of the month. And this listener says, keep up the good work. Thank you. I hope to. <laughs> and my question is, why are you doing this podcast? What do you hope to achieve? Well, listener, that's a really great question. Um, if I anchor back to April 19th, when I did my very first episode, I was nervous to do that episode. I really was, you know, creating a podcast and talking into a microphone in which, by the way, I had a little iPhone and my audio was not really that great, as you guys may know. Um, so I've improved some things there with the sound quality, and I hope to do more in the future. Um, and I talked through, I'm not quite sure. I just know I am so passionate about finance. I'm very passionate about people that start late in life like I did. I know exactly how I felt when I was broke at 40, and I did not like it one bit. And I know 
that there have to be millions of people all over the world that think the same way because we're so conditioned by media. We're so conditioned by social media, um, especially now over the past 10 to 15 years, whereas previously it was just advertising on television. And we're all trying to live up to certain expectations. Nobody's talking about the fact that many of us are so broke. And I really want to change that. And that's what I hope to achieve with this podcast is as I move forward, I just, I want to talk to people about their money. I want them to be anonymous and say exactly what their net worth is. And I want to be able to help people talk about it to see if we can change that thought process in America and all over the world. So thank you for your question. Another question is, well, same person said, how many listeners do you have so far? Another great question. I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. Um, the analytics come back from the podcasting platforms that I'm on, Spotify, Apple, Google, Overcast, and probably three or four others that I pump this podcast out to. And I see numbers and I know people are listening, but I haven't really analyzed that quite yet. In fact, I haven't even talked about the podcast much or marketed it. And so I'm in these early stages, first six months, I've been doing a lot of experimenting. So to answer your question, I do not know how many listeners I have. Um, maybe a hundred. I see some of the numbers coming through, but that's probably my best guess. Another listener writes in and says, hi, Evan, I've been listening to your podcast since April. Thank you. Um, it has been giving me motivation to get out of debt that I have. I could relate to your bankruptcy episode. Should I claim bankruptcy? I have over $100,000 in debt and I lost my job recently with the pandemic and it's signed Lost in Rhode Island. Well, thank you, Lost in Rhode Island. I really appreciate your email. <clears throat> and as you may know, I'm not a financial advisor so I can't give any kind of advice. I don't know anything about you, uh, obviously. Um, but I'm so thankful that you're here listening to me each and every week. And yes, thank you for listening to my bankruptcy at 29 episode. When I go back, you know, to when I was 29 years old, so many years ago, I'm 54 now, and I think about that experience and how much it changed me, I, I know that it was the biggest learning experience of my life. And so I would never want to change an experience that I learned, right? So... I, I can't change that and I don't want to change that because it definitely changed who I am. So to answer your question, I can't say if you should claim bankruptcy. I don't think that that's for me or anybody in the financial independence community to really talk through. Could it be that you maybe you have to talk to an attorney or financial advisor to get more specific advice? That's what I would recommend. Um, $100,000 of debt is a lot and you lost your job. So I am so sorry. I'm so sorry, not only for you, but for the thousands of people, millions of people in this country and around the world that maybe have lost their job if they're in the service industry due to the pandemic. Things will get better, I always say. And so I'm thinking about you. I believe in you. And I know you can get through this. These are really difficult times. Um, as far as that $100,000 debt, if you don't claim bankruptcy, that would be your number one goal 
as you know, to just keep chipping away. I don't know how old you are. You didn't say that here in the email, but um, keep chipping away at that debt year after year and celebrate each 5,000 that you pay off, each 10,000 you pay off until you can get to a net worth of zero, which as I've said in previous episodes is success. <laughs> For many of us, if we can just get to net zero, net worth zero from a negative net worth, major success, major, then we can start moving forward into building wealth. So thank you, Lost in Rhode Island, for your question. The next one is, Dear Evan, after listening to your Power of Percents episode, I realized that my budget is completely out of whack. Like many people, I've been trying to keep up with the facade of success so that nobody would really know how bad my situation is. I'm working hard to get things in order. I'm 35, and I hope to get the debt paid off by the time I'm 40. Thanks for all you do, Marianne in Oklahoma City. Thank you, Marianne. I appreciate your email. I hope things are well in Oklahoma City. And let me look over this again. So yeah, I know a lot of people do look at their budgets when they finally hear those percents that I gave. So kudos to you for taking the time to get that back into numbers and percentages that are better suited for you to have success moving forward. Um, you're 35 and you hope to get this paid off by 40. Celebrate that. My goodness, I was broke at 40, right? Five years is a long time. Five years is a long time. And each and every one of those five years, as you get to zero, celebrate it. Like I just said for Lost in Rhode Island. And you will then get to the point where you're at zero. Congratulations. So I'm giving you a congratulations five years in advance because I know, <laughs> Marianne, that you will get there. Thank you for your question. The next one, dear Evan, what do I do if my husband isn't on board with cleaning up our finances? We're both in our early 30s and we've been in debt for years since we got married about 10 years ago. I've been a fan of Dave Ramsey over the last several years. Do you have any advice for how to get my husband to finally open up or to finally open up his eyes to his spending? Thanks for your inspiration you can provide. Desperate in Denver. Well, Desperate in Denver, you know, great. Kudos for you for listening to Dave Ramsey and others in the community that are giving such great advice. What I'm seeing in your question here is not uncommon. In a marriage, sometimes you have a husband and wife um, that can't see eye to eye on certain things. So that sounds like that's going on here. My advice, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a financial advisor, as you know. Um, but I do believe in honesty. I believe in transparency. And I believe in having fierce conversations. I read a book once called Fierce Conversations. Um, in the workplace, it's really great if you're having a problem to confront the person that you're having the problem with. That's hard to do. None of us like to do that, do we? To have to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm having a little bit of a problem. What can we do? Here's the problem. What do we see as our solution moving forward? So if you are married and you are, and everybody else listening to me, my best advice would be to sit that person down, maybe have them listen to this episode in this portion and say to that person, listen, 
we have serious problems financially. We have to get this under control. We have to get this under control and try to motivate that person, your husband in this advance, in this um, example, um, try to get them to see the future. In a lot of my other episodes, I talk about being futuristic. Anybody that can see the future has the ability to get there. Maybe your husband doesn't have that ability to see past the week, to see past the month, to see past the year. So by sitting him down and having an honest conversation will hopefully then open up his eyes to his spending. And if not, then I would recommend that you get counseling so that you both can move forward. Thank you, Desper in Denver. I really appreciate your question. The next one is, dear Evan, my net worth is 150,000 and I'm only 35. Wow, awesome. I'm a listener of your podcast in Brisbane. I've lived in Australia all my life. My wife and I love listening to your show to motivate us to stay on track so we don't fall into the trap of living above our means. Thank you for your episodes each week. I was wondering, we want to have another child. We currently have two, a boy and a girl, and we then want to stop at three kids. What advice do you have for young families as we move forward towards financial independence? It seems to be difficult when we talk to all of our friends that are in similar situations. Thanks again. Well, this is a really great question. First of all, I want to congratulate you for getting to $150,000 of net worth at 35 years old. That's huge. So pat yourself on the back. That is amazing. To be at $150,000 of net worth at 35 is a major achievement. Now, the other thing I have to say is you are exactly right. For my podcast, the Broke at 40 podcast, over these past six months, even though I've had some case studies, you may, may remember David and Amy in Boulder, Colorado, wrote into the show and I talked to them about their situation and they had children. So I don't have children, but I can still relate to people on those levels and know and understand that yes, raising children is very expensive. Hopefully you have a dual income. You didn't mention here too much about income. So I don't have enough information really to talk through a lot of this, but you and your wife would probably want to really think about again, the income coming in, cutting back as much as possible. How can you increase your income and reduce your expenses going forward, especially since you want to have another child. So you're bringing all of these little people into the world, which is great. <laughs> um, you just have to think about it in terms of a bigger picture than I've had to look at it. And you're much younger than I was when I started building wealth. So you, again, just like the other listener a while ago, you have an another additional five years before you get to the age 40, right? So really look at your finances from that perspective of, you know, we have children, how do we build that into our budget? And always keep track then of how much then you can increase your net worth every single year going forward. The fact that you have already gotten to $150,000 by age 35 is amazing. And so just reading your email here quickly, knowing that you have got there, I know you're going to do well. I believe in you. So thanks again for your your email. I really appreciate it. The next one is in your, oh, hold on. I got to get the marshmallows out. Okay. Hold. They almost burned. Sorry. Okay. The next one is 
in your first episode, you talk about how in society we don't like to talk about money. Why do you think that is? How can you have a podcast and attract people to listen if they can't admit to themselves that they're broke? And this is from Amy in Idaho. Thank you, Amy. I really appreciate that. You know, I've thought about that myself. In the introductory episode, I did talk about that, how in society we don't like to talk about money, which is why I'm doing the podcast, because I want to reach out to people. I want to reach out to broke people. I see broke people everywhere. I want them to listen. Um, why do I think that is? I don't know. Through the years, you know, when you look back at history, it's just people have always wanted to live above their means to better themselves. After World War II, we had expansion going on. Everybody, you know, back in the 50s was <clears throat> buying homes, living above their means. It was just a way of life. And when so many people see that way of life, it's hard for them to see anything else. And then you go on to say, Amy, um, how can you have a podcast and attract people to listen if they can't admit? Well, that's, that's really tough. Once I start marketing the podcast out to other folks in the community, I hope that people will then start to listen in, put in their earbuds. Nobody has to know that they're broke and hopefully they'll learn over time that first of all, they have to admit to themselves that they're broke. If you go back and listen to my podcast where I talked about being you know, bankrupt at 29, I had no idea how much debt I had. No idea. I didn't want to open up the statements. So if that's how I felt, I'm sure there are lots of people that feel the same way today. And those are the people that I want to break through to because I had to break through on my own to myself and I know how hard that was and it took me so long and that's why I hope if this podcast can reach people. Uh, so if any of you listening know some folks, family, friends that are suffering financially, send this podcast over to them and say, listen in. And hopefully you can learn to better your situation. Amy, thank you so much for your question. The next one, in terms of being a new podcaster, what have you learned so far and why do you enjoy doing this? Hmm. I love that question. It doesn't have a person's name here. So whoever sent that question in, thank you. I am a new podcaster and I like to consider myself being an amateur podcaster. Um, I'm brand new, six months now. You may have heard some episodes where I talked about in college, I worked on radio, television. So I had really big dreams of doing things within radio and television that didn't happen for me. And I, I can admit that to people now. For many years, I kept that a secret and I was ashamed of it. But through our lives, we, all of us have things that we want to do that we may not do. And we course correct and we go a different direction. And so through the years I've done, experimented with things like I'm doing with this podcast in the media. And I just absolutely love it. I enjoy it because I absolutely love communicating with people um, through this type of a medium. I've always loved recording things. I used to run around the house with a tape recorder and record everything. <laughs> um, so that answers that question in terms of why I love doing it. It's just, I think it's just amazing. Um, what have I learned? Well, wow. If you go back and listen to some of my episodes, they're pretty, I don't know, 
I was pretty obviously new. I wasn't quite sure what I was doing. And even now I'm not really sure what I'm doing, but I'm experimenting quite a bit with different formats. You know, this Ask Evan Every Anything, um, the episode I did where, you know, money fundamental moments where I try to bring things together, um, money meditation moments, ask yourself this. So I have these different formats that I'm experimenting with. And as I move forward, either I'm going to continue that format and keep it different, or I'll settle on one format. So I'm not sure, but I've learned that I want to communicate with people that are broke. And how do I find those people? I do not know. I know that I've learned so far that I like talking to people about it and I want them to be on my show and we can have a discussion. If not, I can share their finances with you guys and you can learn that way. Um, and I, I've learned that I'm just super passionate about personal finance and I, I always have been. So thank you for your question. The next one is, you talk a lot about getting to a million dollars. Many of us listening really won't get there. What can you say to people that can't get there? What about us? Hmm. Thank you so much for that question. I do talk a lot about getting to a million dollars. In one episode, I think I said only 3% of American households will ever get to a million dollar status, and it may be 6%. Somewhere between three to 6%, if you Google it, you get different answers, but it's such a small percentage of people that ever get to a million dollar net worth. And it, it's just a, it's such a, what is it, an oxymoron? I'm not even sure that that's the term, but it's such an um, interesting concept because a million dollars doesn't mean what it meant back in the 60s, as I said, but it still seems like a lot, doesn't it? Especially if you keep your expenses low. It only means a lot to a person if their expenses are super low. I think we all get that now, right? It's not like when we were kids, or well, for me, actually. <laughs> um, but depending on your age, that million dollars has different connotations. But when you consider, again, the fact that the statistics say that most households won't get there, then that makes me think that everybody that's listening to the Broke at 40 podcast then should make that a goal. And those of you that are listening and applying the concepts will get to that goal. Okay. And so I do talk a lot about that because I think it's the lowest dollar amount to sustain a lifestyle of $40,000 per year. Not many of us can live on less than about $40,000 a year. And so that, again, to answer your question, is why I talk about that being the goal. And for those of you that can't get there, then I've also talked about the fact that if you get to 500000 or you get to seven fifty, or anywhere in between, because those are the numbers we're talking about, for those people that are going to get it to $5 million, $10 million, $20 million, this show is not for you. You're doing great. Um, you're also doing great if you're not getting to a million. But what I'm trying to communicate is there is that range of dollar amounts, you know, 300 to 500 to 750, somewhere in there. If you get to that, by the time you want to stop working, I would think then that you would have to work until the traditional retirement age, because then you can take advantage of social security and Medicare. Those are the two big things, because if you retire early, you have to fund your health insurance 
right? If I stop working at 60, unless I heard Biden may want to support something that says Medicare will go to the age of 60, wouldn't that not be phenomenal for all of those of you listening in the FIRE community that want to stop working early? To know that age 60 then Medicare could kick in, wow, that's really huge. Um, so for those of you that are listening that won't get to a million dollars, just to re to end this question here, then yeah, you would want to work until the retirement age. Then you have those two things, social security and health insurance um, would be paid most of it by Medicare. So thank you so much for your question. And the next question is, why do you think the psychology of money is more important than knowledge? Hmm. Thank you. This is a really great question that didn't come in from anybody in particular. There's no name here. But why do I think psychology is more important than knowledge? Well, as you know, I do talk about behavior being 80%, knowledge being 20%. That is so true, guys. So true. When I think about the past 14 years, I had learned everything I needed in the very beginning. Everything I share with you, which I don't need to go into all of that right now, but you know the basics of personal finance. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. It is not. Don't let any financial advisor or anybody ever tell you that it's complicated, that you have to do all of these crazy investment ideas and things. Just put it all aside. Look in the mirror and trust yourself that it's easy to do index funds, etc. So again, I don't need to go into all of that. Why do I think psychology is more important? Because that's where people get tripped up. When I look back over my history, that's where I got tripped up, you know, bankrupt at 29. Really? I had no idea how much debt I had. Those were major psychological functions or behaviors and things that I learned at a very early age about how I felt about money, what I saw in society, what I saw on television, it shaped who I became as a young man. And when I got to my 20s and I got out of college and I started working, I tried to create this image of something better than I was. That's psychology. I can't go back and change that. But I know that that is why people get so confused about what they need to do. I just Think that way. This is such a great question, and I should have prepared better, but I can't think of why. I, I just I just know in my heart, based on my experience, that it's those behaviors and the psychology of how people feel about money is going to either predict their success or predict their failure. And unless they change that, unless they have a a mindset shift, a paradigm shift into valuing money and seeing it not for what it can buy in terms of material items, but seeing that it can create that engine that I talk about until they see that they're not going to be able to achieve it. It's just that simple. So I believe it because when you look at over history and you look at case studies and you talk to people about how they got to a million dollar net worth, and I'm just using that as an example, that it really is the psychology that got them there. So thank you for your question. 
The next one I see here is Evan. You do talk a lot about being frugal and delaying gratification over the past 14 years to get to your million dollar net worth. Don't you think you've sacrificed too much to get where you are? I don't mean it to be too critical, but not all of us can be that way. We have families, we have obligations that you don't seem to have. What advice do you have for people that aren't as restrictive as you have been with their finances? And this is from George and Sally in Montana. So George and Sally, thank you so much for your question. I really appreciate that. And I did look at this earlier and I thought a little bit about it. And here's my best answer of how to, here's my best, uh, my, um, the way I'm going to answer this, the best way that I can is, wow, you are exactly right. I do talk a lot about being frugal and more importantly, delaying gratification is what I have done over 14 years to get to where I am and being frugal. Now, when you say, do you think you've sacrificed too much is a really great question. Sometimes I really think I have, to be quite honest with you. I have delayed a lot of gratification. I still am. And I'm going to learn to not do that going forward. And it's just so much a part of who I am that I often find myself feeling guilty if I do spend money. So I know I have to change that a little bit in favor of experiences and not keeping, my, keeping myself so focused. And especially during this pandemic now, it's almost giving me permission to be so introverted because I am so introverted. And yet... I know that I can't keep up this, you know, introversion, you know, virtual things with work and everything is great and all, but, you know, we're all suffering in this together that we're delaying gratification. So many of you listening that haven't delayed gratification before know now during this pandemic, if you're wearing your mask and you're doing all those things, you're probably learning how to become um, more apt at delaying gratification. And it's been something that I've been forever. And yet I've learned and I've tried to not delay it so much. And now that I'm here, it is it is kind of like I next year, 2021, I really need to think about not only, you know, passion projects such as this podcast, but also what can I do to, to be a little bit happier in my personal life, I guess is probably a good way to put that. Um, and have I sacrificed too much? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I still don't know that spending money is going to make me any happier. So I have to think through that a little bit. And I really appreciate your question. I don't have a really great answer. You go on to say, um, it, it is true. I don't have obligations that many people have. So if you have lots of families, I'm sorry, if you have a lot of people in your family, four, five, six people in your family, yeah, you'd have to be earning quite a bit to raise the family like that. And I haven't, so I completely get that. As a single income, no kids, have I been able to get here in 14 years because I did not have those obligations? Yes. But if I was married and I had a significant other with, a, um, with an equal income, could we have done things you know, above and beyond what I did as a single person? Yes. So there's lots of variances in there. 
variables, I, I guess I could say. I think everybody has to come up with their own middle spot of where you feel most comfortable wherever you are in your financial journey, whether it's in the very beginning and you're single and then you're married and you have to navigate that and figure out, you know, how we're going to save money over time. Everybody has to stop and think, where am I right now? What have I done in the past that I can forgive myself for, like my bankruptcy, for example? What can I change? What can I do now going forward? And really have that visionary aspect where you can see certain things in the future. Because if you don't see it, like I said previously, you can't get there. Um, so to answer your question, yes, so many people do have families. It's hard. It's hard. It's very difficult. And I feel for you two things, though, come to mind. Either increase the income or reduce the expenses. That's the only way to do it. So thank you so much for your question. I really appreciate it. The next one is, thanks for your show. I'm listening in California. I'm in a highly expensive state and can't seem to get ahead. What advice do you have for people reaching financial independence by the time they're 60 if they live in such an expensive place? Great question. Thank you for listening in California. And you are right. For all of you listening, if you're in an expensive state and you can't seem to get ahead, I guess you would probably want to think about maybe moving to another area of the country that's not as expensive. I don't know. It's going to have to be a hybrid approach. Either you're going to make a lot more money, reduce your expenses, and or move to a different area. That's Those are probably the only things you could possibly do. Keep it super simple. So thank you so much for your question. I really appreciate it. The next one is, I like your show and how it links together behaviors and personal finance. My wife and I are 47 and 42 respectively. We've been on a financial independence journey for five years. We're almost debt free and our net worth is 575,000. Thank you for the motivation each week. We try to walk with you every week <laughs> to keep up our spirits. Why did you decide to call it Broke at 40? Doesn't that have a negative connotation? Thank you, Tito and Andrea in Venice, Italy. So thank you so much for listening in Italy. I really appreciate that. In fact, in my analytics, I see that I have folks all over the world that are listening. And so thank you so much. And kudos to both of you in your 40s, 47 and 42, to have amassed just under $600,000 is huge. So kudos to you, and thank you for walking with me to wealth as well. Why did I call the podcast Broke at 40 is a really great question, because I wanted to go back in time, as I talked about in the introductory episode. Yes, I'm 54. Yes, I got to a million-dollar net worth, and I wanted to just go back in time and share with people that want to listen in on how they can do it too. And each listener then, like you guys are doing, are comparing yourself and saying, okay, we're here. Where was he? <laughs> um, and I think that's how people learn. I really do. People, again, in society, we're not comfortable talking about money. We don't go up to each other and say, hey, what's your net worth? I wish we did. I wish we could go around. You know, sometimes when I'm out walking my way to wealth and I walk by homes and I see these expensive homes and these expensive cars, I would think to myself, are they broke? Do they have a negative net worth? We just don't know. We will never know. 
And so I am fascinated by that entire concept. And so that's why I called it broke at 40. I think at 40 years old is when people finally wake up. If they haven't, if they don't wake up by 40, they never will, is what I think. Um, it happened for me at 40 and for others, it might, you may wake up at 50 and I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but that's why I wanted to call it that because we seem to hear a lot about that term broke at 40. And is it negative? Maybe. But I think once people start listening, they're like, oh, this is a story about a guy that's actually done this. And so I think it changes their perception of, of the podcast. The next question, and by the way, I got to put another log on the fire here. So just a second. It is so beautiful out here right now. And the fire, I wish you could see this. I should be on YouTube. But anyway, um, beautiful evening here. And I hope that you're having a great day or evening as well. The next question, why, what did it feel like to be bankrupt at 29? I can imagine that must've been terrible. What do you think why do you think some people don't learn from their financial mistakes and others do? Hmm. Well, when I go back to age 29 and I think about how I did that, <laughs> I can't even believe it's me. Unbelievable. When I think back to being in my 20s and being oblivious to the spending, how did it feel? It felt terrible. As I've shared with you in previous episodes, I cried. I, I was so ashamed. I was so ashamed, but it changed who I was. And it gave me the ability to see the future, to have a blank slate and to say, take a deep breath and be like, okay, I can do this. I can change who I am. I can change my future. So at the same time that it was super terrible and it felt bad, and I know many of you might be feeling that same way right now as you're listening to this, it does get better. Push through it. Push through it as best you can and get through the tough times. It will get better. And why do I think some people can learn from their mistakes and others don't? Well, it is true, isn't it? We hear that some people go bankrupt early in life, and then 10 years later, they do it again. They get their credit cards going. They you know, start spending like crazy again. It happens all the time. You hear about it. Maybe you and or your friends or people you've heard about in your life that they just don't learn from their mistakes. They continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that but you do not want to be that person that does it again, right? So if any of you that are listening, if you went through what I went through, and if you were bankrupt at a certain age, please learn from that. Let it change who you are. Let it resonate with you that you made that mistake. I want you to own it. Own that mistake so that you can move forward. Thank you so much for your question. The next one is, hi, Evan. What do you feel is the primary motivating factor to stay on track over the last 14 years? I ask because I'm a single guy in Portland, Oregon at the age of 35, and I find it difficult not to spend money, especially when now 
when I'm when I get down on myself, I find it hard to stay on track. How did you stay focused for 14 years? And it's signed Andrew. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your email. Portland, Oregon, what a beautiful place. Beautiful place. Um, and you're 35 years old. And thank you for listening. I really love that I have people that are under 40 that are listening to the podcast because I think it can be motivating for people that do not want to be broke at 40. And then I think it can also help people that are broke at 40 that want to change the trajectory of their futures as well. Um, let me break this down. What did I feel is my primary motivating factor? What really kept me on track for 14 years? I would say that delaying gratification for me is easy. That is the single most important thing that kept me on track. track. Because when I think back to all of the things I could have done with the money that I had, I could have bought a big house. And I have an episode where I talk through that. Um, I am just a master at delaying gratification. And I don't know if that's a positive thing or a negative thing, I think it's very positive in that it got me to where I am, and yet it has negative connotations. It's like, I've got a lot of work to do, don't I? In terms of things I probably need to think about after this episode, just like you guys do as well, I'm sure. And I'm really being as open and honest as I can in this episode. I do, I thrive on delaying gratification. I just absolutely love delaying gratification. And I, I need to analyze that more. I'll probably have an episode on it coming up here in the future. But to answer your question, um, that is the primary motivating factor is that I love to do that. And because I haven't, because I made the right decisions on big purchases, it got me to where I am. So thank you, Andrew, for your question. And I hope that you learn to do a little bit of delaying gratification because it sounds like it's hard for you to stay on track. So if you can learn a little bit about how to do that. Um, and again, oh, I heard a wolf or a dog or something. Um, so if you can do that as well, just a little bit, then it's gonna really help you move forward. So thank you again, Andrew, for your question. The next one, you talked about delaying gratification as a top behavior. Oh, wow. So I have another question on this same topic. You talked about that being a top behavior over the past 14 years. Do you feel you've lost out on anything because of that? Well, I kind of answered that before. And as I'm reading through these, and again, I one of my things about this podcast, this episode I wanted to do was not to script out my answers. So you can see I'm actually thinking as I'm coming up with the answers. Um, I have a lot of work to do on thinking through that I have lost out a lot, but I don't regret it. It's just how can I now change over the next 14 years of my life? Because I probably don't need to delay gratification as much now that I've achieved the million dollar net worth. And I need to think about that. So yes, I do think I lost out a little bit. But what I gained is so much more. Thank you for your question. The next one, congratulations on your six-month anniversary of the Broke at 40 show. Thank you. And who are you targeting? Well, 
I think I answered that just a minute ago. Um, and as I'm thinking through it, two groups, one would be those that are broke at 40, 45 or 50 negative net worth. They're trying to do better. They're just now hearing about the financial independent community. A lot of people start hearing about it and that light bulb goes off. I talked about the movie um, about the young couple that are, um, you know, found the fire community and the guy pulled over on the side of the road and he started listening to the podcast. People out there all the time are finding podcasts about broke it for about the financial independence community and fire and or just financial independence. And so those are the people I'm targeting, the new folks, the ones that are that have been around learning about personal finance. I'm targeting them as well. I hope they can benefit from my show, as well as those in their 20s, hopefully, and 30s that do not want to be broke at 40. If I can reach people before they get to 40, because think about what I did from a net zero 40 to 14 years, a million dollar net worth. If you start seven years earlier, eight years earlier, nine years earlier, wow. Those are the ones I want to target because if they're on that downward trajectory, then if I can save them from that so that they don't go bankrupt like I did, um, those are the ones I really want to target as well. So those two groups primarily. Thank you for your question. The next one is you mentioned the monthly case studies that are, are made up by you. Will you ever have any real ones? <laughs> you are right. So I have been making up the case studies because I'm a creator. I love doing that. I love thinking through different personalities and behaviors and situations of people that have, you know, certain finances in their life because unfortunately we don't hear much about those folks, do we? So until people write in and want to share their finances with me under a fake name, then I'm going to continue to make these up. And I will do a real one as soon as somebody writes in to the show and wants to be on the show. So thank you so much for your question. Okay, the next question. And by the way, the fire here, the campfire is doing so well. I wish you could see it. Again, it's a beautiful night. I'm sitting here looking up at the stars. I hope that everybody's having a really great weekend. Um, during this pandemic, of course, we know we have to find safe things to do, hopefully, that don't cost a lot of money too, right? So hopefully you're having a great weekend. So let's move on to the next question. Evan, what fears do you have about the next five years? Hmm. Many of us listening are just starting out on our financial independent journey. So thank you for sharing your experience with us anonymously. But I was just wondering about how you feel now that you got to your million dollar net worth. What fears do you have about the rest of your life if you stop working at age 60? Wow, that, okay, this is a great question. So I have to think about it. Um, the first thing I'll just break it down is, Evan, what fears do you have about the next five years? Well, so you know, you probably heard my last episodes where I devoted two episodes to, yeah, right now you can tell I'm really thinking. In fact, as you listen to my podcast going forward, you'll know, you'll see that I get motivated by certain things. Several months ago, I was getting into personal growth, self-improvement and things like that, which I love. And I still am always going to do that. And I'm going to share those things that I'm learning with you. 
And just lately now I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be 55 next year, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, right? So yeah, I'm, I'm on the journey now of really thinking about, and you guys will get here too. And some of you may be getting to this point, or maybe you're just at 200,000. Maybe you're just at 400,000. So again, what I hope to do with this podcast is I'm sharing my experience so that when you get to where I am or you know, maybe you're already where I am, we're all learning, and I have to share with you what I'm thinking about, whether in the past and or for the future. So this is such an amazing question. Um, what fears do you have about the next five years? A lot, I guess. Well, not a lot, but um, you may hear in my voice in the other last couple of episodes where I talked about the buckets I'm trying to create, bucket one, bucket two, and bucket three. And I'm really starting to think about the money and can I really stop working at 59 or 60? How am I going to pay for health care? I hope Biden does, if he becomes president, lowers that Medicare to 60. That would be amazing for me. So I don't have to come up with that seven or $8,000 per year to fund my own health care for five years, right? Which would be what, $40,000, $50,000 or something. I could do it. It's just, you know, those are the things I'm thinking about and I'm fearing as I plan. So to take away fear, no matter what phase I was in, in my financial independent journey, whether it be when I went through the recession and I was sinking money into the stock market, or when I was in 2012, when I was at about $200,000 net worth, and I was a guest on the Susie Orman show, and I talked through what I wanted over the next several years, I was always thinking five years into the future. And so I would encourage you all to do the same. Um, but for these next five years, yes, this is, a, you know, this is make it or break it time. These next five years are super critical for me in terms of can I stop working at 60? If I make mistakes in the next five years, then no, I wouldn't be able to do that. So that's, I, I fear that you know, the pandemic will continue on. I hope it doesn't. Things will get better. But I always have an understanding that whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And I try to position myself, and you can do the same, position yourself for the greatest degree of success. That's all we can do. We can only control things like our expenses. We can control that. There are certain things that are out of our control. But again, there are going to be things that are, you know, not in your control. So we can control what we can control, basically. Um, you go on to say, I was just wondering how you may feel now that you got to a million dollar net worth. Well, you know, interesting, because if you go back to my episodes, you'll see where I was, some of the episodes I was like getting so excited because you're right, I did get to this milestone, which I've been working on for 14 or 15 years. And to get there was just like, wow, I couldn't believe it. You know, I still can't believe it. Um, when you're on that journey and you've had so many years, you know, of my life where I was just feeling so bad about myself, financially speaking, that to then finally uh, achieve that was such an elation. And I hopefully convey that in the episodes. If not, then I'm going to convey it right now that for all of you, as you're working on your journey to get to whatever dollar amount you want to get to, whatever you think your financial independent number is, 
once you get there, congratulate yourself. It's a, it's a super high achievement and you should feel really great about that. Um, to wrap up this question, you said, what fears do you have for the rest of your life if you do stop working at 60? <clears throat> well, the most obvious one is I fear that I will run out of money like everybody does. My strategy will be the bucket strategy to allow that $700,000 in bucket number three to grow to 2 million. That's huge. That's 1.3 million in growth over 15 years by the time I'm age 75. Now, a lot of you listening might be like, oh my gosh, 75, that's so old. No, it's not. 75 is young. 75 is young, especially in another 20 years, people are living longer and longer and longer. So you have to build that into your plan as you move forward. So do if I do stop at 60, I guess I would be thinking, could I really do this? And my best positioning for success is going to be to try to live off just the interest in arrears. I think I've talked about this before. So let's break it down just for a minute. Let's say, for example, I stop working for the year. I only want to spend money from last year. In other words, if I, if my investments in bucket one and two that I'm taking from, or even if it's bucket number one, let's say we have, have a great year. The market returns are six, seven, eight percent, something like that, right? Even if it's lower, if I just take off the 40%, what would that be? I'm sorry, the 4%, that would be 40,000. So um, the idea then is only to spend the interest. That's what my, my positioning will be. Only spend the interest of the previous year. So then you're always balancing a juggling act. Oh, wow, I made the 40 grand that I needed. Okay, I'm going to spend that next year. Then what happened this year? Uh-oh. So I'm at a deficit. What do I do? I go to bucket number one. See the logic there? So um, that's what I love about stopping work at 60, if I do, is that then it becomes a challenge because every year that I'm looking at my spreadsheets differently than I'm looking at them now. And my podcast will continue on, and I'm going to share my journey with that as well. The next question is, on your first episode, you mentioned you weren't sure of the forward movement of the show. Have you figured that out yet? Great question, and no. <laughs> I am still working through what I'm going to do with the show in the future, especially for 2021. I know I'm going to be sharing this with folks um, in the community and say, hey, what do you think? What do you think I should do? Should I make some changes? What do you like about what I've done? What do you think I can do? So I'm sure it's going to change and evolve as I move forward. And that's what I'm most excited about is having people look at it and critically looking at it for me and being honest with me and saying, this is what I think is working. This is what is not. And then I'm going to take it and move forward. So thank you for your question. The next one is Evan. I'm in my late 20s. My name is Brad and I'm a single guy in Toronto. I've been watching YouTube channels on personal finance and found your podcast just recently but I don't want to be broke at 40 just like you were. Great. Um, I can't imagine how that must have felt. What advice do you have for your younger listeners? Brad, thank you so much for your question. 
and for listening, you know, again, you're in your late 20s, so kudos to you. I really love talking to people like you that are thinking about their money so young in life. So I congratulate you for that. And how, you said, how much, how did it feel to be broke? It was terrible. I shared that just a little while ago. So thank you. It's just, it's not good. So you don't want to go down that, that path. My advice for younger people is to continue to learn, to continue to motivate yourself, to stay on track. Don't get caught up in what society says about what success is. Make it a personal journey on your own. Make it a personal journey to say, this is what I think success is financially. This is what I think success is emotionally and everything else. You are in charge of your own destiny, like I always say. So, you know, pat yourself on the back, continue to learn, continue on the journey that you're on and don't listen to anybody that says you should be doing anything differently. Thank you so much for your question, Brad. I appreciate it. The next one is, Dear Evan, I'm 52, married, and my wife and I have three kids. With college expenses and everything, I have to be honest, it's hard to save for retirement. I earn about 60000 and my wife earns about the same. We just can't seem to get it together. It's a hard reality for us. Our net worth is in negative numbers. I can't even look at it but I think it's about $120,000 underwater. You talk a lot about delaying gratification. We're trying to change. How do we get out of this mess that we're in? We first started listening to, you know, F, started listening after doing research on Broke at 50, then found your podcast when we were, when we typed in 40. Okay, great. Your first episode inspired us to keep listening. Keep up the great work. We hope to be where you are one day, Alex and Lauren in Lansing, Michigan. So first of all, Alex and Lauren, thank you so much for listening and finding the Broke at 40 podcast. I hope it is inspiring you. It sounds like it is. And you're in your 50s. So this podcast is for people in their 40s and 50s. And you have kids. And so that's great. You know, I, my advice to you guys would be, you know, you earn, you earn great money. So combined, you make about 120000 I'd really have to look at your numbers, but my general advice would be continue to try to make more each and every year. So $120,000, look at your expenses. How can you reduce them? You know, you might have to get college loans for your kids that they have to pay back, which is great because then that teaches them, you know, how to manage money. So that's a really great thing. You're still underwater, a negative net worth about 120,000. So obviously your goal is to get it to zero as quickly as possible. So you can begin to build wealth above and beyond that. How have I done that with delaying gratification? It's just something I had to, to do. So my advice would be to, to think about how you can do that. You know, if you're having difficulties in managing your finances, maybe for you guys, it might be advisable to really get a coach, a money coach and or a financial advisor. I don't say that a lot very, very often, but in situations where you have, you know, if you're not really sure exactly what you need to do and if the psychology isn't quite working on your own, if you can't figure it out and there's nothing wrong with that, then it may be advisable to seek out some help. So thank you, Alex and Lauren for the question. I really appreciate it. And the last one here, and we're going to wrap up our episode for today is, 
Dear Evan, thank you for your show. You're welcome. <laughs> I've been doing my best to reach financial independence by age 60. My husband and I started late in life, just like you did. You are inspiring us to continue on our journey each and every day. We were just curious about your long-term goals for your podcast. Will you be having others on the show? Yes. Thank you so much for that. And so I would like to end with this question. I'll answer that for you. Um, just like I kind of did a little while ago about, you know, the podcast broke at 40. And by the way, congratulations to both of you trying to get to a certain point by age 60. I think that's awesome because this show, as you guys know, the long-term goal really is to help people that maybe haven't found the financial independent community. They may know nothing about it. They may just be clipping along in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, and don't even think about the independence part of their financial journey. They're just earning income, and they see it as income to spend minimum payments on bigger things. That's the way most people live. Most people in America and all over the world <clears throat> think of their money in terms of the income, can pay for larger things because of the minimum payment that they're paying on it, and that's just the way they think. They've been conditioned, as you know, by society. And if somebody hasn't kind of nudged them, if somebody hasn't kind of nudged them in a certain direction, or if they didn't have a bankruptcy like I did and have a life-changing event, it may be that they just haven't heard about any other way of doing something. And that, my friends, is the long-term goal of the Broke at 40 podcast. So just to wrap up this episode, and thank you so much for writing in and for all of you for writing into the show. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being there with me over these past six months. And I hope that you continue with me on your journey as you go from broke to brilliant. So with that, thanks again, everybody for joining me on this episode. I know it's just a little bit longer. I am actually looking at the campfire right now and it's starting to dwindle down. It's getting late here. Beautiful evening. I hope that all of you are having a great weekend or had a great weekend because I'm dropping this on Monday, October 19th. And so I'm going to pack up my laptop here, let the fire kind of dwindle down and head on over to the cabin and call it a night. Thanks again for listening, everybody. This is Evan Thomas. This is the Broke at 40 podcast.